If you have your Bibles there, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And uh, let's, I want to begin reading in verse 7. He, he said to them, It is not for you to know times and seasons that the Father has placed in his own authority. Um, did, did y'all hear the guy who's continually predicts the second coming that he is supposed to happen again last Friday? I mean, he did it again. And it didn't end. John, I didn't see you here. What's what up? <laughs> Welcome. See me afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, here's a good verse for people who are prone to predict. In Acts 1, verse 6. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know. Times and seasons the Father's putting us on the back. Now that's a good verse to quote when somebody tells you they know pretty clear when it's going to happen. It's not for you to know. Well, what, what are we to do? What are we to know? What are we to focus on? Verse 8, But... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now there's what we're to know. That's what the, where the focus is supposed to be. And, and Jesus is saying, don't worry about dates and times. Worry about and focus in on, zero in on what... God has assigned you to do and make sure that you are equipped by the anointing from on high to do it. Um, there, there are, there's a Holy, the Holy Spirit dwells within us at salvation. Amen? He comes within. Romans 8 9 says that uh, you, no man can... Uh, claim Christ unless he has the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells within. But this is a coming upon. Do you notice that? Uh, this is an anointing upon. I think the disciples were already Christians. E even if you, uh, reading through the Gospels, when Jesus in John, I believe it's chapter 20, verse 22, when he when he comes to them after his resurrection and he, he breathes upon them or within them the Holy Spirit. And he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. He breathed into them the Holy Spirit. Now when they put the Old Testament into Greek, that Greek word is used in the book of Genesis where it says God breathed into Adam the breath of life. There in John 20, Jesus breathed, the same word used of God giving life to Adam. Jesus breathed his life 
into those disciples and said, Now receive ye the Holy Spirit. So I believe that they are already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But here is something different. He says, uh, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon. And that is one of the great needs of the church. Now, one of the things that's kind of been on my heart, and I I want us to to talk about it a little bit this morning, is that we've got a day coming up, two weeks from today, uh, in which we get an extra hour of sleep. Remember that time change, fall back? And we get an extra hour. And I kind of felt like, let's tap that. Let's, Let's use that to reach out to some people who might not be inclined to go to church normally, but we can say to them, here's an extra hour of sleep. We're going to have a special day on this day. Would you come and sit with me and be with me in church? They're not going to have to sign anything. They're not going to have to say anything or sing anything. Or give anything. Well, they may have to give something. I don't know before it's over. But no, no, not even give anything. They don't. They don't have to do anything. That we just want them to attend the worship service November sixth. We call it Invitation Sunday. It's amazing what a simple invitation might do. There's a book uh, by Tom Rayner. Uh, he used to be at Southern Seminary. That, see if you can... Look at this quote. This is uh, out of his book called uh, The Unchurched Who Live Next Door. Uh, he's with Lifeway Research uh, Center now in, uh, in uh, I believe it's Atlanta. And in this book, he says that 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited by a close friend or relative, family member or neighbor. If they were invited, if somebody said, look, uh, we get an extra hour of sleep on this Sunday, would, would you go with me? Maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's somebody that uh, is a family member, somebody you know. And that they don't go to church, maybe they used to go, and you say, you know what, uh, would you come with me on this Sunday? We get an extra hour of sleep, and we'll just go to worship, and maybe take them out to eat or something afterwards. Now, why should we do that? Well, if you look here, it says, the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you should be. It's not a guilt trip. It doesn't say you ought to be, duty. It's you shall be. When the anointing of God's Holy Spirit comes upon us, not just an indwelling, but an experience where God's Holy Spirit does with us what is His nature to do, we reach out. We speak out. And he says, you'll be witnesses, and I like uh, one translation that says, you'll be witnesses unto 
me, about me. And when you look at this here, he says, you'll be witnesses unto me or about me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And after that, they gather in the upper room, verse 13 and 14, and, and it says, it starts naming the ones who were there. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, and it names all 11 of the disciples. Judas, of course, is out. He's probably dead by now. But all 11 disciples have gathered in anticipation of the Holy Spirit's coming in the next chapter. And it includes, in verse 14, they were all in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. Even the brothers had now been converted and were awaiting the Holy Spirit, awaiting an anticipation of what God was going to do next. So on November 6th, two weeks from today, I want us to just ask God to give us His Holy Spirit and let Him do what He does with us. What is the natural consequence of yielding to the Holy Spirit? What is the direction we would go? And I want to give you three reasons for this. One thing that will happen is when we give ourselves and yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, it will help us as a body of believers to be focused on Christ and His mission. He says here, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, Acts 1.8, you will be witnesses or my witnesses or witnesses about me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit will once again help us get our focus. And I think that's good, to get our focus. To bring us back to what we're here for, why we're here, and to remember that we are called to bear witness unto Jesus Christ in the surrounding area and also beyond that. To move past the comfort zone even to the ends of the earth. Helps us get our focus. A second thing you'll notice is it helps us build, mo- build momentum. Look at what he says in, uh, in verse 8 again. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We should have a map. See if you can give me that map. I don't know if you can make out the, the concentric circles there, but, uh, but in Judea, that, that would be to the south. And then in Samaria, that would be to the north. Starting in Jerusalem, that's, that's your immediate family. That's your immediate locale. Then in the easier areas where you work, your neighborhood, your, uh, uh, not the family is not so immediate. But you know who the Samaritans were? They were uh, part Jew. And you remember in Jesus, when Jesus in, uh, was going through Samaria and the woman at the well, and the woman was surprised when Jesus spoke to her because she said, why are you talking to me? Jews don't, do, don't talk to Samaritans. 
Jews look down on Samaritans. Who do you tend to look down on? Who would you think would be an unlikely candidate to want to come to church? Then he says, get, cross that barrier. There are some barriers that are easier to cross. Judea, well, that's kind of connected to Jerusalem. They think alike. We, do, we act alike. We are probably kin. But Samaria, that's a totally different ballgame. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, that's a geographical barrier. Racial barriers, social barriers, geographical barriers. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and he is just, he's just himself upon us and with us. And when that happens, barriers begin to break down. Um, the thing that you will notice here, the word that comes to my mind is momentum. Small Jerusalem, the concentric circles, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Momentum is when you move from an inert position and you begin to make movement and gather up steam as you go. Uh, it's not a happy subject, but you know, when you, have you ever been stuck in snow? And uh, sometimes, what do you do when you're stuck and you're trying to get out? You will put the car in reverse, or maybe I don't know what does this. You put the car in reverse, back it up a little bit, and get some, what? Movement. Because momentum can get you over the hump. Uh, John Maxwell gave this illustration. He said, momentum is like this. In New York, they have these trains that can go 100 miles an hour. And you can put a one-inch block under the wheels of that locomotive, and that train cannot go anywhere with a one-inch block. He said, but if you have that train at full speed, 100 miles an hour, and it hits a brick a five-foot-thick brick wall reinforced with steel, it will smash through that brick wall. That's the same train. It's just the power of movement and speed and momentum that is picked up. That's what momentum will do. Churches need momentum. And what I see here is he's saying, first in Jerusalem, then you pick up speed, Judea. That's moving out of your comfort zone into another area. And then Samaria, that's social and racial distinctions, crossing those boundaries. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, that's sacrifice past what people expect you to do. But that's the momentum of the power of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost, this next chapter, is an explosion of God's life within Jerusalem like a huge pebble dropped in a pool that just sent waves out to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, November the 6th, let's move a little bit. Let's see if we can get the locomotive. Let's move the blocks out of the way and get some momentum built up. And... Uh, Invitation Sunday. We have an extra hour of sleep. 
Would you come with me and let's fill this place up? Let's use every chair we've got on November the 6th. One of the things that will happen is focus. You'll be witness unto me. Momentum. The third thing that will happen is that you will have the joy of anticipation. You see what? All of these disciples, they meet in the upper room. They gather in prayer. They are excited. All the women are there. They're eating together. The brothers who were unbelievers, the brothers of Jesus who were unbelievers, they've started to come in. And they're starting to get into this thing. There's an anticipation of what God's going to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He will give you focus. He will give you momentum. And He will give you anticipation. And these three things will be help you bear an effective witness for Christ. I don't think we realize what an amazing effect bearing witness in the power of the Holy Spirit has upon an individual or a church. I went this week, um, not crazy about these kind of uh, meetings, but I went to a denominational business meeting, three hours long. Boy, that's joy in the Lord. And I did get something out of it. The, the preacher told a story that he knew personally of a situation when he was pastoring up in uh, North Michigan. He, uh, uh, he's now, I, I think he's like a, uh, the president of the state convention or something, but for years he was a, a pastor up in North Michigan, and he said that this lady that he personally knew was at 50-some years old, becoming an invalid. She literally was bent double and could not get out of a wheelchair. She, had to, she was confined to her home, confined to her bed. The only thing they could do is put her in a wheelchair, and, and that, was, that was the best life she had. And then uh, someone found out that she was praying for people, some of her church friends, and say, well, would you pray for us? And would you uh, answer the phone and kind of be a prayer coordinator? So she said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. Not, I can't come, but I can pray. And she began to pray for people. Then she began to organize prayer groups. And this pastor said in his sermon that I personally knew her, and I knew I watched over the months as she totally recovered from her disease, whatever it was, from her crippled condition. He said by the time she was in her mid-50s, late-50s, she had totally stood straight up and was walking around and had gone back to work and worked into her 80s. That is the power of becoming focused outside yourself the power of momentum and anticipation of being in God's work and what it can do for us. Folks, there are some things that are just more important 
than whether Michigan and Michigan State play on a Saturday afternoon or not and who wins. I mean, I'm just telling you. Can I get a witness on that? That's, that's from all the women. There were no men. I don't see how that could be more. There are some things that are just vital to, to people outside these walls and to our own lives than our little comfort zones. So we're going to pray for God's Holy Spirit to just come upon us, move us, help us, and, and I want us to pray right now. And you be thinking of some names and ask God to give you some names, three or four people that the power of an invitation. If Tom Bernier is right and his research is correct, even if he's partially right, that research shows over 80% of unchurched people would go to church with a friend or a relative if they invited them. Let's put that to the test.